Welcome to Way Too Seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Jan, do you want to tell us about this movie? Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or if you're an American, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Boo. is a 2001 movie. Uh, directed by Chris Columbus. It stars Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, the original Dumbledore, Richard Harris, uh, Alan Rickman, among many, Maggie Smith, among many others. You know, it's Harry Potter. You know who's in it. Here's Paul with a plot summary. <laughs> so, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is the story of orphan Harry Potter, who on his 11th birthday discovers that he's a wizard Harry. A what? <laughs> a wizard Harry. And that his parents were killed by the evil dark lord Voldemort, who was destroyed or vanquished or damaged or something <laughs> in his inability to kill Harry Potter. Harry goes to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, makes friends, has adventures, plays sports ball, and defeats Lord Voldemort, who is trying to return. Then he returns home with a new confidence and a new lease on life. The end. <laughs> That's basically the plot of Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know what Harry Potter's about. It's Harry Potter. In fact, it was hard to decide whether we wanted to do this movie or not. We watched it with our kids today, and uh, there are so many podcasts, so much media up surrounding Harry Potter. There's so much good commentary that you can get out there. But so this is just our little perspective on it. We'll try to keep it to the to the movie and not to the books. Yeah. Even though we are huge, huge. I mean, I am a huge, huge fan of the books. Yeah, I think you are slightly more. Uh, fan than I am, but mm -hmm. I mean that's not a very meaningful comparison because I have read through all of the books, probably uh, averaging every year since they came out, mm -hmm. and I've read the first two in Latin. There you go. We have, I think, at least five copies of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in yeah, our house, at least. So, yeah, I mean, like, we like these books. We like these movies. Yeah, we're going to focus on the movie and do it in the way that we normally do. If you really like Harry Potter and you want to hear a more in-depth analysis of Harry Potter, I strongly recommend Witch Please, a Harry Potter podcast. Uh, they have an episode for each book and then two episodes for the later books. And an episode for each movie, and then a bunch of extra bonus episodes, but I especially recommend the episodes where they go through each book and each movie in depth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I have to say about this movie uh, might have some... A lot of what I have to say in the way too seriously about this movie is going to be informed by Witch Please, because I watched it, and because uh, I listened to that, and really agreed with a lot of the things they have to say and i won't be deliberately copying them but i'm just sure that what i have to say will be informed yeah, by them absolutely and informed by many other things that i've listened to about it so let's get into this a little bit 
let's start as we usually do with an objective judgment. How good as a movie is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? How good a job is everybody doing making this movie? Well, let's start with the directing. Okay. Chris Columbus, who is known for other things like uh, Home Alone. Yeah. And Home Alone. Probably Home Alone 2. Probably Home Alone 2. I can't remember what else he's done. He is known for directing children. Mm -hmm. And he is good at it. Sort of. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's... He... He knows what to do in terms of directing children. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You disagree? I think, no, I think in terms of skill, there's no doubt he knows how to direct children. He knows how to get the performances he wants out of them. He knows how to work with children really well. Mm -hmm. There's a different aspect of like, in terms of taste, what he wants to get out of the children is not necessarily what I wish he would get out of them. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Especially in terms of the acting, the directing of the acting, I think uh, I don't doubt. I don't um, question his skill level, but I do question like what he considers to be a good performance from a kid is not what I would consider to be a good mm. performance from a kid. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, also I was going to say he, um, in terms of like shots and camera movement and all those things. I quite like some of the shots he does. Some of the, that's getting into, like, I think that he he does a good job of really showing this big world without having to build enormous amounts of sets, but really shows uh, what Hogwarts can be like. He uh, gives us, he introduces us to this entire cinematic Harry Potter world that is now, you know, so uh, ubiquitous that you don't even think about the fact that he was the one who built that to begin with. He built that Diagon Alley the way it looks. When you look at Diagon Alley and all the little like bits and bobs that just exist, the way this world is uh, with lots of tiny trinkets. And that's partly like the set designing, but it's also the director makes those kind of decisions. And I think that I, uh, the entire franchise of Harry Potter has a, owes a lot to him for starting off this way. Yeah, I agree. And in terms of direction and kind of rolling into that, in terms of uh, direction, cinematography, set design, costume design, that that informs the rest of the series. And I think a lot about this movie, the look of this movie is some of my favorite of the whole series. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Later movies will make everything bluer. Mm-hmm. This movie tends to make things golden, and I like the golden better. Yeah, as do I. And like the designs of the scarfs, the thick uh, horizontal stripes, I like better than the thin ones. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot about the visual of this movie that I totally agree that comes down ultimately to Chris Columbus, but there's other people working under him on this movie that do just an objectively great job building this world. Mm-hmm. There's a specific shot that I noticed this time around watching is Harry goes out into the courtyard with Hedwig on his arm and it's all snowy and he lets Hedwig go and they fall and you follow Hedwig in the sky. She flies out over Hogwarts and the season changes from winter into spring. Mm-hmm. And it's a 
I think it's a beautiful visual way of showing the changes of the seasons, and that's a director choice. And there's a lot more practical effects in this one than in future ones. There's not as many digital effects, yeah. especially with the owls. Is yeah, they're not digital sure. owls, they're real owls that were trained, which is like kind of crazy to think about. But it shows. But it shows. And I always I always, always appreciate practical effects as opposed to digital. What about the acting? What do we think of the acting in this movie? Well, they're still children. Mm-hmm. So their acting is is children acting. But I mean, you want to talk about Emma Watson. I want to talk about her especially in the how did you enjoy it section of this podcast. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I think objectively all three child actors are doing a fine but not great job yeah. as actors. Uh, I think Alan Rickman uh, stands out in terms of performances in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Richard Harris is the superior Dumbledore. Uh I really, I don't, I think. I think in terms of acting, in terms of especially the way he says things, I agree with you about Richard Harris. His mannerisms and his elderliness, I feel like make him not as good, like make him not able to do the things that, See, that we could, Okay, we're getting too far into we the. We could compare all the, all the future movies and but we can't let's, stick to I, I, let's not but i was just gonna say i think uh in terms of thematically i kind of like the choice with dumbledore of like he seems like an old doddering fool he seems like he's so old he's incompetent and you kind of want to wonder that for a while mm. and then it turns out he still has all his powers or enough powers to be a formidable so yeah. I kind of like that he's so old that he seems like you want to uh, write him off. And I really like Richard Harris's delivery better than uh, Richard Harris's take on Dumbledore is my favorite of the two takes on Dumbledore. Also, when we're talking about acting, like the adults. Yeah, are all fantastic. Are all really good. And Maggie Smith. I love Maggie, Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith is so good in everything and so great in this movie. And mm-hmm. she doesn't have a ton to do in this movie really yeah but she does it well yeah uh we already said alan rickman and um uh, uh what's his name who plays hagrid i can't remember robbie, robbie coltrane robbie coltrane is like you're if you are like me you're so used to seeing him as hagrid that it's easy to forget how good he is as hagrid absolutely absolutely i was thinking the same thing that like he just is hagrid yeah. There is no one else I can imagine in that role. And I was aware he just does of him. It so well. He was in some detective, some BBC mystery series. Yeah. So I knew him before uh, Harry Potter because my dad was into BBC mystery movie, mystery shows. So I had seen him quite a bit as whatever it is. I can't remember. But I can now cast my mind back and think of that character. And it reminds me of that He's not just Hagrid. He's an actor doing an amazing job uh, embodying Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what he's like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a hard, I feel like Hagrid of all roles is a hard role because he has to be gigantic and childlike with a dialect. Yeah. With a very specific West Country dialect. And, and that's not Robbie Coltrane's accent. No. And it's just, 
like to be all of those, to embody all of those things is tricky and he does it so well. Yep. Any other highlights in terms of the quality of this movie that you want to draw attention to? I think I may have, I just, the sets and the design of the movie, I think I've mentioned, and that's just the sets, the costuming, the design are all stellar. And that's what I was going to say too, was, is the set design and the effects. And you mentioned the effects already, but like the effects in this movie are so very, very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that think of all those, like those floating candles all the time. Exactly. And like so many little things about this movie, makeup effects and, uh, set design are all just really incredibly skillfully done. Mm-hmm. Any low lights in terms of the quality of job that they're doing? Well, they're still children. And so the acting, especially of the side characters of people like Seamus and yeah. uh, Malfoy yeah. and even Neville are pretty poor. And it's, can be a little grating sometimes watching them and how like they're a kid saying a line. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I don't think that uh, this is necessarily the actor's fault, but the way in which Dudley, uh, not Dudley, uh, Vernon Dursley is portrayed right. is a bit over the top. And maybe that's just kind of how he's written in a way, but I just feel like the way he's filmed and the way he's written is just a bit too much for me. Yeah. And in terms of, so I similarly, in this movie, uh, the directing, you praise the directing and I was not willing to quite join in on you (laughs) and that praise because I think there are things Chris Columbus does very well, but uh, he overdoes it sometimes Mm -hmm. into like a little broad, a little slapstick more than I think is doing uh, service to the story. Yes. And like Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is broad and slapstick, especially at first, like the Dursleys in the book are quite broad and slapstick and farcical. Mm hmm. But he rings every bit of broad, farcical, googly-eyed moment yeah, exactly. that he can out of it. And sometimes it's too much. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a taste, but it's also like a, just hold back a little bit on this. And there's a few moments specifically that I could talk about in terms of my enjoyment of them. But like when all the letters are coming, for example is a great sequence, but Vernon is a little much, like Mm -hmm. dial it down just a little. Yeah. And basically Rupert Grint's performance, like pull it back just a little Mm -hmm. and it would be better. Yeah, exactly. I hate the, both the design and the effect of the centaur. Oh Yeah. And that continues in future movies. We're only talking about this movie right now, but like, I think it's bad. Mm -hmm. I think it looks bad. His face looks bad. Yeah, it does. Uh, I agree. 
And I think that's not just a matter of taste. I think that's like they did not do a good job designing his face mm-hmm. and making his face. And like we talked about good effects, but that's a, not a good effect. No, that's not a good effect at all. And the effect of Voldemort on the back of Quirrell's head is also like, it doesn't look good. Mm. It's not very yeah. well done. Yeah. And maybe the technology wasn't there t- yet to do it in CGI. I don't know, because the next movie to for- to foreshadow... uh. The next movie, not very many years later, how many, like a year later, two years later, whatever, the the Chamber of Secrets, Dobby is amazing as an effect. Yeah. So they could do that. Mm Mm-hmm. But the centaur and the back of Voldemort's head are not amazing. Yeah. They don't look good. I feel like the centaur suffers because he's only in the one scene and so they didn't want want to take the time and money to make this amazing effect for this one scene with him and i feel like they could have just cut that scene rather than have a bad centaur yeah i also think that uh the pacing of this movie is not always the best Mm -hmm. there are moments that are quite slow like uh or like these you spend a lot of time on harry's letters come they come and they keep coming and they keep coming and it's quite a while that we spend on that and we spend quite a lot of time in the uh shack in the woods I mean, the shack on the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go very, very quickly past Norbert the dragon. Like, he has mm-hmm. a dragon. Now he doesn't have a dragon. Now it's gone by. Like, whoa. Um, and I always wonder about all these movies, but about this one. If I hadn't read the book, would I know what was happening? Yeah. Sometimes, no. There are mm-hmm. times when I don't think I would understand the story. Yeah. If I hadn't read the book. I feel like that too. Especially everything to do with Norbert the dragon. Mm-hmm. And like some of the mystery and the, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Apart from objective judgments, how much do you enjoy this movie? My feelings are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Take of us course. through your complicated because, feelings. Because I love, love Harry Potter a lot. I love... But what I love about Harry Potter is the books. And the movies are good, too, and they have their place. But my excitement about these movies has waned over the years. And maybe that's because I'm older. Maybe that's because they don't hold up in terms of time. But maybe that's just because they are not... They're the only time this this book has ever been made into a movie. And so maybe if it got done again, it could be better. There are some things that get cut, some things that get changed that make me not like it. There are, uh, yeah, there's things about, I guess I want to talk specifically about Philosopher's Stone. And I am medium about it. Like, I love it. I have a lot of sentimental likings of it. But maybe as a movie, I don't love it. I feel similarly. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about our personal connection to the Harry Potter movies? Sure. So, when we were merely friends, you once uh, invited a group of us, your friends, over to watch movies in your apartment. And this was a thing you did mm-hmm, regularly. Frequently. And one time, the movie was Harry Potter, and uh, 
you and I both were young and single. Mm-hmm. We had been, we had been innocently fl- flirting. Yes. For a few uh, weeks. For a few weeks. And we were sitting next to each other on the couch. Uh, and we were watching Harry Potter. And about halfway through the movie, during the Quidditch scene, we started spontaneously holding hands. Suddenly, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> like, under the blanket, and we both, like, looked at each other and kind of blushed and looked back at the movie. And then the movie ended, and you were like, Paul, can you come help me move my couch back? They was like, yeah, I'd love to. They, I'm, I'm just a helpful friend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And all our friends left. Clever. And we said, what is going on here? Yep. And we discussed our feelings and... We talked about our feelings and basically we started the movie being friends and we ended the movie being boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> and Pretty much. And so... We made a, uh, after that, we made a regular date of seeing every Harry Potter movie together mm-hmm. when it came out. And we did, uh, until the eighth movie came out, we saw them all in theaters. Yeah, so when when this happened, the first two movies were already out, because this was like 2002, I think. Yeah. And then, and so then... As each, as the third and fourth and fifth and sixth all came out, we went from dating to mar- to engaged to married to having kids where we had to get a babysitter to go see these movies. So it holds a very sentimental place in both of our hearts because of this, because it's a part of our relationship as well as being a part of like pop culture and a, and a franchise that we just love. And I was qu- uh, quite a bit colder on Harry Potter than you were at that point, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the movies. But in general, I kind of had the attitude of like, these are too popular for me to admit that I like them. Yep. Um, but once it was the movie that we started dating while watching, I like, I couldn't maintain that ironic distance. Like I had to, it was too emotionally connected to wonderful, warm, emotional feelings about you. So I had to, start loving the movies. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can make objective judgments about what's good about the movie and what's not. And, like, by this time, I've seen Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone so many times that it doesn't really hold my attention anymore. Mm-hmm. But I'm always going to, it's always going to have a place in my heart. And Harry Potter mo- movie series is always going to have a place in my heart, uh, no matter what I think about the story or the directing or the acting, whether it's good or bad. And mostly I think good things about it, especially Mm -hmm. the book, but the movies have a special place in my heart because we watched every one of them together. And it was amazing that it was this long running series so that our relationship, you know, developed and grew and the movies kept going. And we got to see the eighth movie when we were married and had kids and think back on how we started dating during the watching of this movie. Like, mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The eighth movie came out after our second daughter was born just after. Yep. I remember that well. So, um, all of that to say you feel medium about it. All of that to say <laughs> I feel medium about it. There's some things I love about it. And I want to say one of them now, and that is Emma Watson's Hermione is like, I absolutely love in this movie 
Um, I love Hermione as a character an awful lot. Uh, and the more I have read and watched and thought about this book series, the more I like Hermione. But Emma Watson as Hermione is my favorite of these child actors in this movie, certainly. I, she's adorable. I love how earnest she is as a little actress, how she takes a deep breath before every line. I don't know why. <laughs> like, she's just <laughs> the... She's the greatest, mm-hmm. and I love watching her. Uh, so that... And that's... I don't think, like, objectively that's good acting technique, so I... When we were talking about the quality, I said she's, you know, all three of them are kind of mediocre as actors at this point, but I love watching her. Yes. Especially. Mm -hmm. Emma Watson, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially as our, our oldest daughter is basically Hermione. Yeah. Our oldest daughter is very Hermione. This like putting up her, uh, she's a reader. She puts up her hand. She's always uh, overachiever, overachiever. And so, of course, I love that character even more than I ever did. And especially, like, the w- the way that she reminds me of my daughter makes me especially like her in this movie. Because mm-hmm. our daughter is nine. Yeah. And she's 11. Hermione's 11. So, like, 16-year-old Hermione, 17-year-old Hermione, like, I like her as a character, but she doesn't uh, make me feel like I'm watching my daughter. Yeah, exactly. Yet. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Anything else you want to talk about in terms of your enjoyment or affection for this movie? No, I think that's about it. So let's move into the way portion of our show. Let's. Where would you like to start talking way too seriously about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? There's a lot of things we could talk about. <laughs> yeah. And we'll try once again. You can already have heard that we have a hard time doing this, but let's both remind each other again. We're going to try to remember to focus on this movie. Not all the movies and not this book. And not comparing it to the book. Yeah. Because there's enough of that. Do you want to ta- just start ta- talking about one of our usual things, which is how many female characters are in this? Yeah. Movie. How many female characters are there in this movie? I mean, there's McGonagall, there's Hermione. There's a lot of side girls in the class, but do the they only have one who, lines? Do they have lines. I'm trying to remember. Susan Bones is sorted. Is sorted, but I actually don't think she actually says anything. Now that I, I don't think, think about so. It. In terms of lines of other characters, it's most. It's all the other. It's like Seamus and Neville who get lines, and Malfoy. Molly Weasley, Molly Weasley has a line or a few lines. Uh, Professor McGonagall has plenty of lines. Hermione has lots of lines. Madame Hooch is Madame there. Hooch the flying lesson. teaches the flying lesson. None of those women talk to each other about each other ever. No, not at I all. I feel like I, well, Hermione, oh. <laughs> when they're in the bathroom after the troll attack Hermione talks to McGonagall about how it was her fault because she thought that she could fight a troll okay so maybe she's talking to McGonagall about herself okay 
Again, though, that being said, you as we always say, the Bechdel test is the lowest possible bar. And the fact that we have to really think and, okay, there is a moment where it technically passes this incredibly low bar is not exact. Like it's yeah, damning with damning faint praise. praise. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's that. While we're talking about gender, let's talk a little bit about Hermione. Mm-hmm. Because I love Hermione and she is the absolute best. But there's a thing that we are far from the first people to point out, but it's this movie uh, makes this enormous problem, I think. And many people have said this before me. When they are uh, on their way to stop Quirrell, who they think is Snape, to stop uh, him from getting the Philosopher's Stone and they have to go forward and Hermione says, you know, you, you're a great wizard, Harry. And Harry says, no, you're a great wizard. And she says, me, books, cleverness. There's more important things. You'll be okay, Harry. You're a great wizard. You really are. Not as good as you. <laughs> me, books, and cleverness. And more important things. Friendship and bravery. Yeah, that, she has all that stuff, too. That is some bold shirt. Yeah. Yeah, she has all of that. She is strong and brave. She's in Gryffindor, too. She is able to do all the things that Harry's able to do. The only thing she's bad at is flying on a broomstick. Yeah. And so, in the exact same way that Ron played chess, Harry flew a broom, Hermione could just as easily defeat yeah. Except that she couldn't because Harry has the magical chosen one power. Yeah, but there's nothing at all. There's no quality that Harry has that Hermione doesn't also have. Mm-hmm. And so that leads us to think, like Hermione, I mean, Harry has the quality of protagonist power. He's yeah. the main character. So, of course, the story, like, it has to be him because he's the main character. Yeah. And when, in that moment, when Ron is on the horse on the night and... He says, you know, one of us has to go forward and it's you, Harry, you know, it has to be you. And, uh, you put on your way too seriously glasses and you say, why does it have to be him? There's no reason, especially if all you know is the movie, Harry has not done, achieved, accomplished, chosen anything that, uh, Hermione hasn't done more or better. The reason he says it has to be you is because... Harry Potter is what his his parents were killed by Voldemort. Yeah. And so he has a personal vendetta against or Ron would see it as he should have a personal stake in what happens to the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I guess. But, but Hermione, we don't know yet about uh, Muggleborns in this movie. So I guess that doesn't uh, matter to Hermione yet. Really, though, why Mm -hmm. does it have to be Harry? Because they've read the script and they know that his name is on the cover. Mm -hmm. Right? And that leads us naturally to say, why isn't Hermione the main character? And we're the bajillionth people to ask that question. Why couldn't it be Harriet Potter. Mm-hmm. Why is the main character have to be a boy? Uh, 
Why did J.K. Rowling have to choose her initials instead of Joanne? And this, in case there's a one person who doesn't already know this, I imagine you all have heard this, but let's just say it. J.K. Rowling uses her initials because her publishers didn't think that a book by a woman would sell. Mm-hmm. So it was to hide her gender. Yep. Like, that's explicitly why. And even though it feels like, hey, that happened, and we all know that she's a woman and she still sold it, and people were okay with the fact that she's a woman, the top-selling book right now for, for that same age group, 9 to 12, is the book called Wonder, and the and it's written by a woman, but she's using her initials, and I didn't know that that author was female, E.J. Polacco was female until very recently, and I assumed that R.J. Flacco was male. Because, because exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same reasons, and I'm so mad that they did it again. Yeah. So, even though many people have said this before, like, stay angry, people. Yep. Hermione, don't d- diminish yourself. Hermione, listen to me. <laughs> you are deserve better. And, like, you want to know the reason why all those things? The patriarchy. Yeah. Because a male-centered book sells better because men have adventures. Because we don't believe that women can. Yeah. Because that gets releva- relegated to girls are allowed to read Harry Potter, but boys aren't allowed to read books with girls as protagonists. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, or watch movies. This is about the movie, not the book. <laughs> yeah, this is about the movie. But, like, it makes me think of right this very moment, uh, there was publicity going out for A Wrinkle in Time. And there's some minor controversy in some corners of the world where the uh, M- Wrinkle in Time movie poster features Meg and Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who. And, uh, and there's some commentary of like they obviously don't want boys to see this because there's no boys on the poster and this is exactly again like you have to uh wrinkle in time was a groundbreaking book because there was a female protagonist in a science fiction book um and it's even still making this movie People are talking as if the fact that it's about a girl means that boys shouldn't see it or aren't being encouraged to see it or don't want to see it or shouldn't want to see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When how many movies with boys protagonists are girls assumed to be also included in the target audience for all of them? Absolutely. All of them. So just like this is not an issue that has gotten better. Not at all. Uh, This is not an issue that has gone away. I wish Hermione was the main character of this book. This movie. Movie. We're talking about the movies. (laughs) Do you want to talk about, um, I mean, in terms of race, Harry Potter uh, movie series famously has a race problem. Mm -hmm. Infamously has a race problem. If we're focusing only on this movie, we can say Lee Jordan uh, commentates the Gryffindor matches and is the uh, Quidditch matches. Yeah, and is a person of color. Dean Thomas is in the background, but I don't think he's even actually named this movie. Yeah, 
We only know he's Dean because of uh, exterior knowledge. Because of the books. Yeah, like. and the future movies. So that's about it. I think one of the uh, Gryffindor chasers. Uh, no? Oh, Angelina Johnson, if she's there. Would be, Angelina Johnson, but I don't know if she was actually on screen. Her. Um. So I mean, like this is of an extreme. This is a very, very white world. Yeah. Um. And if we end up recording way too seriously about the other Harry Potter movies, we might come back to this. But like, uh, in this movie, the main issue is just like the non-existence of people of color. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know that there's much more nuance to put to that conversation mm-hmm. than just like everybody's white people of color don't exist or are extremely rare. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about in the context of taking this movie way too seriously? Should we talk about sorting pe- them into houses? Hmm. Yes. The way that, because we're just, if we're focusing just on the movie, the way that McGonagall and the way that Maggie Smith delivers the line about, there are four houses, they're Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin. The way she says Slytherin is like, the hateful people who we hate. She very much emphasizes the like, this is the slimy, gross, under my shoe people. And then the instant they walk in, they're sorted into these houses. Yeah. What is that what you wanted to talk about? It's like yeah. there's the evil house that we can get into all sorts of debates about the houses, but in this movie, it's very much portrayed as the Slytherins are evil. The Slytherins are evil sometimes because they look evil. Yeah. By virtue I mean, of being... Let's get back to that. So let's get back to that. First, let's just talk about sorting into houses. Uh, and particularly sorting into houses based on some essential quality of the person. Mm, right? Yes. Like, houses is a thing that happens apparently in British... Uh, Boarding schools. Yeah, I mean, I had house leagues in elementary school. But in the real world, you're sorted into houses arbitrarily. Uh, sometimes you're sorted into houses based on ability, and that's monstrous, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. elementary schools are like the con- the smart kid house, the stupid kid house, and they code they use code words to mm-hmm. pretend that's not what they're doing, like the eagles and the sparrows and like everybody knows that the sparrows are the kids who aren't any good uh that's awful that's a horrible thing to do yeah that happens in the real world and the only time that sorting kids into houses like that for like as long as you're here your house is your family is when it's arbitrary when it's like for no reason the premise in these books of like we will sort you in this movie the premise in this single movie of which we only care about the one (laughs) Of you're sorted into houses based on like essential qualities uh, that you have when you're 11. That you have when you're 11. Like, stop and think about for a moment about how monstrous that is, about how it's reinforcing stereotypes. It reinforces like a sense that your personality is static and unchanging. Uh, houses 
essentially are problematic because they're all about tribalism and enmity and maybe we could say it's about friendly rivalry but like they're very pitted against each other they're very it's very rivalrous between the different houses and then especially especially like this is the joke uh the joke that's not mine that like we all know the four types of kids brave smart evil and miscellaneous (laughs) (laughs) right and that's of course uh gryffindor ravenclaw slytherin hufflepuff in that order yeah but i focus especially on evil like this movie tells us you could the books are slightly more nuanced slightly but the book but the movie really tells us textually slytherins are evil Every dark wizard was a Slytherin, mm-hmm. and the movie shows us every Slytherin is evil. Mm-hmm. All evil wizards are Slytherins, and all Slytherins are evil. Yeah. Except perhaps the movie uh, Snape is a red herring, so this yeah. movie does not show us that Snape is evil. Yeah. But all the kids who are in Slytherin are evil, and like... To be way too serious about it, what on earth does it do to an 11-year-old to be like, you, you're an evil kid. Go be with the house where the dark wizards are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fact that the movie reinforces that, especially with the Quidditch match with, like, Flint, who wears fake buck teeth and is, his evil is signified by his ugliness. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wanted to get into a little bit now, too, is this... When they meet up with the Slytherins on the Quidditch pat, Quidditch field, Quidditch pitch, whatever it is, they're, the Slytherins are all large and buck-toothed and just like their bodies show that they are evil. They are indistinguishable from each other and uh, especially Flint is like, yeah. I am, is kind of like made to look ugly and ugliness equals evilness. Yeah. And um and like you said about Slytherin being evil, they don't play fair at Quidditch. And so you have a team that cheats every time. They're like knocking people out, they're stealing bats from them. They're like they're literally cheating and nothing is being done about it. There's no fouls called in Quidditch. They're, they're like bullies. the uh insert your least favorite sports team here. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're, the Slytherins, in the movies especially, are just complete bullies. And like you imagine, you're give, you're at 11, you're sorted into the bully house. You're going to be a bully. Yep. And it's satisfying to be a bully. You want to be a, you know, you don't want to be a bully for moral reasons, but being a bully can be satisfying. Making fun of people and like, and being on top, bossing people around. That's yep. great. We get to win. And, and then at the very end of the movie, the whole <laughs> house, the whole great hall is decorated in Slytherin. Slytherins won the house cup. We all know because we can all see the points at all times and we know Slytherins won. And so the house, so the great, great hall is decorated and then... <laughs> Tumbledore gets up and he awards these extra points to our protagonists and so we watching this movie go yay our protagonists get to win but really he treats Slytherin really poorly because what reason does he have to award those points at the last minute other than to stick it 
to Slytherin because they're the evil house. And especially, like, the last minuteness of that is, like, for drama's sake. I think maybe, Dumbledore, you might think twice about whether the damage you're doing to Slytherin is worth, worth this drama. But okay, like, you're a dramatic person. Ten points to Dumbledore. But the decorations. The hall is already decorated for Slytherin. Like, that is a little much. It's a little much. It's like presenting, it's like putting the house cup on their table and being like, do you want it? Guess what? You can't have it! Suckers! Pushing them over and, like, kicking dirt in their face. Like, it's bullying. Yeah, it's bullying. exactly. And, then, like, and let's, let's just put a word on it. That is bullying. Yeah, absolutely. Slytherin is the bully house, but Dumbledore bullies Slytherin to make them feel bad. That is just what the movie has shown us happening. Mm-hmm. And we're not supposed to care because we're on Gryffindor's side. But, like, those kids didn't choose to be in bully house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't choose to be in evil house, but they did their best to get points. You lose points by breaking school rules and you get points for doing school rules as well as winning at Quidditch. Like if if Gryffindor won at Quidditch uh, against Slytherin, then the fact that Slytherin has the most house points must mean those kids like did their work, did their homework, followed the rules, were rewarded for fo- for following the system as it was laid out to be supposed to exist. And then at the last minute, they get, you know, ridiculed and belittled and everyone cheers that they lost. Everyone cheers. Like, all four, all three houses that aren't Slytherin get up and cheer that, yay, it's not Slytherin. Like, the Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws aren't mad that it's not them, aren't mad that, I mean, Ravenclaw was in second, and now they're in third. Like, that's, I would be a little mad that, like, suddenly this team that was in last. Well, I mean, like, there's some fair... I think a fair-minded, even a fair-minded kid would be like, okay, he defeated the greatest dark wizard of all time again. Maybe they do deserve some extra house points for that. True. But still. (laughs) But still. And the way, exactly what you say, the way that Dumbledore treats them is, these are children, and you think that they're not going to rise up against you? You think that these, like... Way to make them more evil yeah. by making them hate you. I'm very convinced that Dumbledore is a Slytherin, by the way. He's very cunning, it's true. Because he is manipulative. Yeah. He's manipulative, cunning, he like does what's best for Dumbledore. True story. Uh he doesn't have loyalty to Slytherins, which is maybe a point against mm-hmm. because they're supposed to be like you're loyal to your house forever. Anyway. Even like, like, okay, no, I can't get into that because it's too booky. <laughs> um, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about with Waste Here Seriously. Uh, Can I mention one more thing about houses before go. we move on? Yeah. One thing is that um, your essential quality, also your genetics. They Ron gets the hat on his head and it says, oh, another Weasley. I better put you in Gryffindor. You're exactly like all of your siblings when like, uh, no. And this is something that I hope we will talk about. Like we watched, I'm going to lift the curtain and we watched both the Philosopher's Stone and, or the Philosopher's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets today because it was a snow day. Um, so I think we will talk about the, uh, 
plot the Chamber of Secrets next. The Chamber of Secrets is super about blood and the nature of blood and what your blood means, and the movies will go on to be like very much about that. Mm-hmm. We don't have it much in this movie. No. But let's remember the things from this movie and how you're sorted into Gryffindor because you're a Weasley and all Weasleys are sorted into Gryffindor and uh, you're being good at Quidditch. Harry is in your blood mm-hmm. and uh, you're a thumping good wizard, Harry, once you're trained up because it's in your blood because we know who you are based on your blood. Your parents. This movie really tells us textually that that is what is true. Mm-hmm. And then the other, the next eight movies, the next seven movies are going to backpedal that. Yep. And maybe that's interesting, but let's not forget it. I wanted to talk uh, one more thing, which is about uh, fat shaming in this movie. Mm, Yes. And especially as it relates to Dudley. Yeah. I mean, basically only as it relates to Dudley. When Hagrid comes to the shack in the sea where they're waiting where they're trying to hide out he finds dudley assumes that he's harry and says like oh insert clip here you're a little further along than i would have expected like what if that was harry yeah the first thing you say to him is like huh you're fat yeah exactly uh no he's not harry i am oh of course you are the real harry potter that i'm looking for wouldn't be a fat kid yeah what why? I mean, what? he looks, he supposedly looks like his father, so that's why he'd be like, oh yes, that's a you. But the, yeah, the whole, like, first interaction with him makes yeah. no sense. And then Dudley is a fat kid whose primary characteristic in this movie is his fatness. Mm-hmm. In the book, I mean, he's a, he's a bully in the movie, too. In the book, they spend a lot more time on him being a bully. Mm -hmm. The movie, like, he's big. He pushes people out of the way because he's big. He eats Harry's cake because he's greedy, because he's fat, just after we pointed out that he's fatter than Harry is. And then uh, Hagrid gives him a pig's tail because he's a porky, piggy, fat kid who deserves to be punished for his piggy, fatty pigness. Yep. And, like, that's hilarious. And we all laugh, and Harry laughs, and everybody laughs, and isn't it funny to... Torture an 11-year-old, 12-year-old. For, like, eating cake. Yep. Like, yeah, maybe don't eat cake that it doesn't belong to you, kid. Uh, it's very clear that his parents don't are not raising him well. Mm-hmm. So punishing him by, like... Uh, transfiguring his body by like torturing his body for him, what his parents have done to him. Yeah. Like, and his fatness is a moral failing because he signifies greed, but he's greedy because, I mean, again, the movie, this is just barely subtext. He's greedy in the movie because he's spoiled, because his parents give him everything that he wants. Mm -hmm. So once again, like, the fact that he's fat in the movie and books uh, is the direct result of his, how his parents are raising him. That is not always the case in the real world, but the text tells us, like, his parents, oh, have another slice of bacon, little cuddly 
Dudums and he's a great big fat kid because he wants more, because he's greedy, because he's spoiled, because he's raised that way. Let's punish him for yep. things that are not his choice. Things that are not his choice. And that are his like body is the wrong kind of body that deserves to be ridiculed and punished and manipulated magically. Mm-hmm. Like. And I always forget that he doesn't take the tail away. He doesn't give him a piggy tail for a minute just to freak him out and then take it away. He gives him the piggy tail and the Dudleys have to, the Dursleys have to get it surgically removed later. Like, Wow. That's in the book. They have to get it surgically removed. We don't know in the movie. In the movie ends with Hagrid saying, uh, tell your cousin, cousin. tell your cousin that if he's not nice to you, you're going to give him ears to go with that tail that Hagrid presumes he still has. Yes. And we have no information that Hagrid's wrong. You're right. Because we don't see them again at the end of the movie at all. So, yeah. And yeah, Hagrid encouraging Harry to then go and bully and torture his his cousin, who has been a bully and torturer to him, does two wrongs don't make a right. It's yeah. not okay for him to go home and treat him like that. Yep. Because Harry has obviously been abused by his aunt and uncle, but so has Dudley. Yep. Dudley is is abused to have this boy who's given nothing in the same house as him who's given everything that's abuse for both kids yeah it is a kind of emotional abuse and trauma to be like you're the favored one we're going to give you everything that's super messed up man yep exactly uh and now on the same kind of token you're like you're using the word abuse i don't want to go too much into it because i think we've been talking enough to be done now but let's since our show is called Way Too Seriously, let's just say outright that the wacky, hilarious antics of Harry in, with the Dursleys is like horrible neglect and abuse. Absolutely. It's less obvious in the movie. as I mean, sleeping under the stairs is, is uh, fairly terrible, but... Yeah. We don't really know in the movie we don't know why he wears the clothes that he does, why he's Yeah, that's true. We don't even know that he has an extra there's an extra bedroom for him. Yeah. We can figure out because he eventually moves into it, but in like in the next movie. Yeah. Not in that movie. Sleeping under the stairs isn't great, but like if you have kids and a house and not a place to put them, that's there are circumstances where having a bedroom a small bedroom like that wouldn't be abusive it would just be like coping with the world that you live in yeah but it's made pretty clear that this is like punitive against harry for his parents yeah uh so let's just which is horrific say that this is like absolutely horrifyingly awful yep 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 (laughs) anything else you want to talk about it uh about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? You know what else is kind of torture to children? Giving what? them jelly beans that might taste like vomit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think uh, for 11-year-olds, that is not torture. That's actually not torture at all. We have those horrible, like, bamboozled oh. jelly beans in our house, and they were just awful. And our kids, and our kids loved, loved them. them. <laughs> so that's not... 
I think I reject your interpretation. No, I was just trying to take something way too seriously that didn't actually need to be taken seriously. I love uh, in the taking less seriously. Like that's one of my favorite Richard Harris deliveries, and I have imagined Michael Gabin delivering Gambin. a lot, like Michael Gambin delivering a last earwax. I'm like, can you imagine his delivery on that? It would not have been like no, it wouldn't have been good. Richard Richard Harris's delivery is so great on that. Alas, earwax. Love it. Uh, I mean, honestly, I could go on and on about Harry Potter, but we just wanted to do a little bit of a touching of what we do on the yeah. show. If you're looking for more Harry Potter commentary, which please check it out because it's great. It's a great it's podcast. It's really good. Yeah, it's definitely worth your time. So, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, is it good? Yes. Fish? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think it's good, but I think it's not great. Yeah. Like, it does not hold up as well as I would have expected it to. But for especially, like, the world, the sets and costumes and effects and the world that they immerse you in, it's good. Yep. Is it seriously good? Meh. I don't think it rates better than seriously medium. I think our conversation yeah. here is whether it's seriously medium or seriously bad. I don't think it's seriously quite bad, but it's close to bad. Yeah. It's seriously medium at most. Mm-hmm. It's got some problems. It's got some problems. I think, again, we I can't help it. I think it is not the seriously worst movie of the Harry Potter series. No. So... We'll get there. Maybe maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll do all of them. We definitely watched the first Chamber two. of Secrets, Secret, so we'll probably talk about Chamber of Secrets next. Right? Right. All right. So, medium good and seriously medium bad. Yep. If you want to talk to us. <laughs> if you want to talk to us about Harry Potter, if you want to tell us, no, Harry Potter is not medium good it is the i mean the philosopher's stone is not medium good it's the goodest good that ever gooded we'll hear what you have to say we'll even respond we love talking to people you can do that on twitter at wtscast if you have something to say that you either want to say privately or just that takes more than however many characters twitter is now you can do that by emailing us at way too seriously cast at gmail.com you can find us on other social media things, and if that's the way that you roll. Those are all in our show notes, so just scroll down in your in your little podcast feeder and you'll find some links you can click on. And if you like what we do here, you can rate and review us, and we would greatly appreciate that. And you can also support us directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. That support will help us continue doing what it is we do. Mm-hmm. So, from all of us here, way too seriously, <laughs> I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And you're a wizard, Harry! You're a lizard, Harry. You're a gizzard, Mary. <laughs> you're a blizzard, Derry. <laughs> <laughs> what are what? you doing? What? I don't even know. Okay, bye! <laughs> Stop her in death. <laughs> it will even allow you to put a stopper. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Harry Potter, our new celebrity. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>